1: Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Ecoish Podcast. I'm Tracy Lydiot, founder of Sustainable Living School, and your host today. The purpose of Ecoish Podcast is to illuminate the good work towards sustainability that companies are doing, honestly discuss trade offs they might wrestle with, and share their interesting stories to help listeners like you make informed choices. Ecoish Podcast. Honors the imperfect journey towards creating an eco friendly, sustainable brand in an unsustainable society. On today's episode of Ecoish Podcast, we are really pleased to introduce our listeners to the CEO of Sharewares, Cody Irwin. Cody was born on a remote farm in Manitoba, raised in Toronto, and studied mechanical engineering at McGill University. He now calls Vancouver Home Sweet Home, where he is a two times founder and a two times father. He sits on the Technical Advisory Committee for Metro Vancouver's Solid Waste Management Plan, as well as the Green Industrial Innovation District Steering Committee. He is also a big-time circular economy nerd. I'm so excited to talk to him. ShareWares is a pandemic pivot on a mission to end the world's waste crisis. They have launched a tech-enabled citywide reusable cup and container share program to replace the need for single-use packaging. And according to them, this is just the start. Their software is industry agnostic, so it can allow almost any non-consumable product to be bought, returned, tracked, and processed for resale. The deposit-based platform is plug-and-play, so it's rapidly scalable, and as a result, Sharewares has already partnered with notable organizations like Tim Hortons, Skip the Dishes, and the City of Vancouver. They believe the end of the world's waste crisis is not only possible, but could happen in years instead of decades. Hi, Cody. It's so great to have you here with us today. I've been really looking forward to having this interview with you, and I'm Really looking forward to learning more about what you're up to with ShareWares. And could I start off by asking you where you're calling in from today?
2: Yeah, we're calling in from the upstairs of our warehouse uh, in in Vancouver, just near Olympic Village, where we have our our office and and washing facility.
1: Wanted to start off, I just, I was so impressed by you all the time when I have conversations um, that you just exude this like, let's do it attitude. And I'm really excited to dive into what that means. For you and Shareware's, and so to start us off, I was hoping that you could tell us in your own words what your company Shareware's does.
2: Right. Uh, Well, I'm an engineer, so my words might not be as good as a marketing professional, (laughs) but I will do my best. It's (laughs) all about you. Too much. We provide cafes, uh, restaurants grocery stores with reusable packaging that their customers can borrow uh, for a deposit. And then they can return to uh, any one of our 60 plus uh, best drop-off sites, or we even have home pickup and, and office pickup, um, yeah, so we make it kind of easy and convenient for, for reusable packaging to replace single-use packaging. So I guess to best describe it, the scenarios like you go to a coffee shop, you order a cup of coffee and you ask to borrow a shareware's cup. You pay a $1.50 deposit and off you go. And wherever you are in, in the city, when you're finished, you can scan that QR code on that cup and it will show you all the the return locations around you. Uh, Those QR codes are unique to every single product so that we know who to refund. So when you do drop it off at one of our collection bins, uh, we even have like street side bins in like downtown Vancouver, uh, you'd scan the QR code there too and then pop it in. And uh, because that that code's unique, we know who to refund uh, the cash to um, when we get the products back and we do that through email money transfer, uh, or actually you can, you could donate it to, to one of our charity partners through our platform too. Wow. But, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. Like,
1: no, it's great. There's so much to unpack in there. And before we dive in, I also really like to ask founders and your CEO and a founder, uh, what your driving factor was or the inspiration or spark behind starting your business. And I find that, uh, there's so many stories behind the scenes that we don't get to hear about, and that's what I'd love to encourage you to share right now. What made you start this?
2: Right, it was a Christa Tunity, if you will. <laughs> uh, we're, uh, we're yeah, we're pandemic pivots. So uh, before the before the pandemic, we were a corporate food service company, primarily uh, helping out technology companies manage their in-office kitchens. So all the goodies that would be in a uh, Google or Facebook kitchen, um, you know, all of like the fruits and snacks and drinks and beer on tap, wine on tap, kombucha on tap, cold brew coffee, like all those fun things. Uh, we would help these companies manage all that. Uh, so we're basically like this logistic company and um, replenishment. And uh, then when COVID happened, all offices closed and we dropped 98% overnight because, uh, yeah, the there was yeah we, we, those were our clients' offices and and they just didn't exist anymore, um, but then with the wage subsidies and rent subsidies came online through the government, and so now we had like a fully functioning business with all the right people in the right seats, uh, had, well, tons of lovely staff, you know delivery vehicles, five thousand square foot warehouse, all of the software systems, manuals, everything for a logistics company. We just didn't have that 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 business model uh, mm-hmm. anymore. So we kind of had, to, we had to pivot and we were doing a lot of stuff with zero waste with like tap systems and bulk food systems in the offices. And that's where we were Kind of driving the the food service, the office food service industry, uh, into this uh, kind of zero waste realm, um, and so we decided to to lean into that because we saw there was a lot of waste being produced uh, because of COVID. Everything was single use. Everything reverted back, and uh, we knew that it would it would rebound, and you know we would hopefully go polarize the other way when people were like, oh, this is just crazy how much garbage we're creating. Now we're seeing it. Now we have more of an awareness, and so then when you know, everything kind of came back to a little bit more normal than we could, we could get to work and, and uh, yeah, help and this waste crisis that we're, we're in right now.
1: Oh my gosh, completely. Um First of all, congratulations for being a pandemic pivot. That's successful. I can't even imagine how stressful that must've been to just overnight. Your business model just evaporates. How long had you been working on the corporate side with the food replenishing? But ten,
2: ten, 10 years so we had 10 years <laughs> of resources to replenish but actually like it, it was yeah it was stressful at, at the beginning because I was just, I was worried about my team like where's what is everybody gonna do like how do we how do we get the everybody paid how do we get people on these subsidies how do we do all those things um because really the, the the people are what matter in it all um but then you know, kind of getting out of that, and everybody's taken care of, and suddenly like we could, you know, hire everybody back or most people that weren't on delivery because we had no one to deliver to. Mm-hmm. Um, then, uh, then after that, it's just like fun. It's like, all right, we have, it's an entrepreneur's dream. You have like ten years of resources that have already been built, and we don't have to start from scratch. I don't have all that that crap to deal with. <laughs> um, I could just get like right into the business part. So actually, it was, it was, it's been so much fun. Uh, okay this bleeding edge market the circular economy is just it hasn't isn't even like a blip on the radar yet but it's where we need to be to be uh sustainable on this planet we can't keep wasting so yeah, um, yeah it's, well one awesome
1: thanks that's amazing thanks for sharing that and um you know, I hear the stress and like, I really appreciate your care of your employees because I had my own business at one point in time too. And they really are the lifeblood of your business. You can't do it alone. So I'm glad that you were able to find solutions. And just in your intro as well, you shared something that was so prevalent with COVID, which was waste and the single use waste and how everybody was like using skip the dishes and you know uber eats wherever you know wherever we were geographically using takeaway systems and it's a great point that i think a lot of people don't think about they maybe saw all the waste and concentration about face masks and the disposable masks and all the statistics about how many of those are going to end up in the ocean but you just pointed out a really great point which is we weren't able to sit in restaurants and use cutlery and plates and ceramic things that can be rewashed and reused we started increasing the amount of takeaway containers so yeah entrepreneur's dream and probably also like well like you said a, what did you call it not a crisis opportunity but a
2: crisis opportunity
1: crisis opportunity <laughs> that's
2: from like the simpsons it was like that i mean i think it's actually like this word anyways it's anyways um
1: well, I, appreciate I learned that a lot about... from the
2: Simpsons growing up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, they're oddly uh, really on point with a lot of things way back then. So yeah, um, yeah back
2: I... then, I'll date myself. <laughs> Almost 40, still 39. Oh, I'm still in my thirties.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, I'm a little bit older than you. So I remember the first, yeah. I remember watching the first Simpsons coming out. So super fun. Uh, yeah. They're, they're really on point on so many things. Uh, Chris, Chris. Attunity. I hadn't heard that. So that's a new one for me with the Simpsons. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so basically this is, I think, perfect segue into what my next question was, which might seem simplistic and I'd love to expand on it with you. In what ways do you feel that your company and your services are helping consumers make eco-friendly choices?
2: Uh, well, it's basically just making it easy. Like we, we looked around at all the different other platforms and how, you know, reuse could work in the world. And, and, you know, I didn't think like any of them was really there yet. And it really wasn't super easy to to do it. Cause like really humans need convenience. They need things. They have to be like, Everybody's so busy. I like, they just yeah. like, you're too busy even for sustainability. Like even like people that are like hardcore, you know, deep greens that are carrying their stuff, you know their glass jars, walking them over to the refill store or something like that. Still, at points like they just they're just they're too busy to be able to make the sustainable choices, even though they lay into it. But that's only like 0.01% of the population. Everybody else is just like, yeah, it's not easy enough for me, so I'm just going to go with whatever is easy. And so, and I don't blame them, that's just our culture. We've been, um, that's what we need, uh and then also it's been pounded into us for 70 years of this throwaway culture that Mm -hmm. it's okay to do that so we don't have any like social norms saying that it's it's bad um you know you have garbage cans every you know corner or whatever to kind of help you with those things uh to help you enable the throwaway culture um so yeah but just by making it easy we saw that like it has to be the easiest thing it has to plug into existing infrastructure uh there has to be like almost no systems or behavioral change at all. Mm. And with, with the deposit model, that's possible. Like uh, it's ubiquitous around the world. Everybody's pretty much using it right now. If you're in BC, you're using it like every can or bottle or anything like juice or, or drink bottle or whatnot you buy, even like milk cartons and stuff like that now are all on a deposit model. So you're, you're already doing it and with deposit model you can just you can slip it in right at the manufacturer level to do it to distributor to retailer to customer and then to a depot at the end of life the only problem was that that's not as convenient as it could be so what we saw was that the um, we need to make it easy for customers to get their money back to return it and get their money back so creating a network of return locations so anywhere that there's a uh, a garbage can Uh, or a collection service so whether it's in an office if it's on a street corner if it's in a in a business uh, or you know getting home pickup every one of those areas where there is waste being generated and picked up or not generated but picked up there needs to be able to have uh, a collection system for reuse as like a new utility in the city uh, for like reusable products Um, and so yeah we just built the tech to be able to make make it happen so um, you can conveniently return and so it works both easy for our say our customers are like the businesses that buy from us and then so we're like b2b to c so then like the but you know the End user, the customer on the on uh, of the business is also kind of part of the whole ecosystem, um, and it's easy for them because they're just paying a deposit and they're leaving. There's no memberships or there's no scanning at checkout or anything like that. You just pay like a pan and pop. You just it's already in the bill. You pay it mm-hmm. and you leave. And then if you brought that back to a depot, you can get cash back for it. Um, Uh, with cans right now but even with our products too like it can be totally techless through the whole thing like the you could bring all your reusable products like all our takeout containers grocery containers cups everything like that right back to us and we'll give you cash for it so it's completely like inclusive and uh, accessible to everybody in the community and works just like the bottle deposit model so basically making it easy and convenient is 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 the the way we've we've been working
1: That's how you're helping. I love it. There's a lot of things in there that I was like, would like to touch on. Um, First of all, do you have, I can imagine uh, when you say you have recycling depots around the Vancouver area or drop off locations, When you talk about besides a garbage can, do you actually have like cans on the side of the road where people are like besides a normal garbage can, for example, maybe in the downtown district where there's like a big population of people? Is that how it's worked?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, like Return It is the, um, I guess, deposit collection, like there's Return It depots that you can bring your cans and bottles to. Uh, So we're in partnership with them, uh, with these street side bins that they've, they've procured with industry like tim hortons is a is a partner in the project and uh, so they're a collection bin um that are on street side corners they you know they're like next to all the collection bins and it's a uh, basically for re- right now it's just for reusable cups so you just go there and you you know scan the code on the bin scan your cup put it in um and off you go and That's so they're yeah, that's
1: that's awesome. And so i it imagine it's interesting when you talk about how there's deposits built in that lots of people <clears throat> don't think about, like pop cans, let's use pop cans or beer cans, when which stimulates the collection of them. Have you ever had any challenges of people like pilfering through the return it cans looking for things? I guess you're, I don't know, what am I trying to articulate? (laughs) My tired brain is, uh, have you had any problems with people going into those cans and pulling out your materials? Or is it because immediately it's like an instant transfer, folks that might be maybe going for pop cans or beer cans for their own return um, activities, just wouldn't think twice about your, your... right now right now
2: they they wouldn't think twice about it i mean uh but it wouldn't matter if they did so they're um as soon as you like return an item it locks it to you so the value is immediately gone so if they did get stolen from the bins they would be bringing it back to the depot uh which is us right now we have one one depot um and they would try to get cash for it and we would scan it here and say "Mm, this was returned to that bin over there it's you know stolen property so like technically you know
1: you Sorry. Luck. Like We could call yeah. the police <laughs> on you or something like that. So,
2: um, and yeah, so there, there would be no point. We would be giving no refunds in that scenario. Um, But the great thing about it too, is like if they're not claimed to have been and they're not returned and they're just on the street, that it's a income opportunity for the collector economy. Uh, so it's not only um, giving marginalized people more income uh, to, for our convenience because people will pay for convenience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it also can grow that that side of the thing. So like our technology isn't just limited to packaging. Um, we could be putting our codes on mattresses. Mattresses are a huge concern of, of Vancouver. So like not even an item that can be, I mean, I guess it could be reused, but it could be just recycled too. So, um, you know, if you had a $50 deposit or $20 deposit on a mattress and it ends up in an alleyway, which that's you know, in and around Vancouver, they spend a million and a half cleaning up every year um uh like there's like 10,000 mattresses it's like or 100,000 I don't know there's a lot of mattresses that just get ditched in an alley and then they get rained on and they turn to crap because they don't get picked up but if those had a a deposit on it that thing is getting getting to where it needs to go
0: yeah.
2: uh and the collector economy can grow and these are all just like entrepreneurs that are out there doing this work and it's it's very effective mm-hmm. um in uh, in BC, it's like a 75% return rate on cans in Alberta, it's 86%. Um, and in Germany, they have a 98% return rate on deposit items. Um, they just, yeah, they did some studies in Ireland recently with same, it was like 94%. So like there's a, yeah, there's the opportunity to get it up to a, a really large oil where everything is going back. And so they don't have leakage into the environment and stuff, because these have instant value on it. Like if you had like a an antique item that was worth $10,000, and it was sitting in an alleyway, no one would know how to get the money from it or if even knew it had value for it and since they took it somewhere or whatnot. But if they saw something like a can or one of our you know codes on something, they would instantly know that there's value there to be had and we can get cash immediately for it. So it it, it basically like it create this uh, this problem that would be like waste is actually turning out to be an opportunity um and you know they're like the the last last resort and if it did even get into recycling and into like the general recycling system at, like recycle bc uh, we could have people picking these off on the line maybe the the optical sensors could be picking them up all together and bringing them out um and that's an income opportunity too for recycle bc to be able to be making money off that they can be in employment opportunities they can be employing people with barriers to employment that you know need jobs and there's so many of them we're, like we're employing um people in our washing facility um and we see this you know this this great market of people that are ready willing and able to work uh and we can create these like great fulfilling safe jobs um so it's like this goes hand in hand so like you could have people on on the line picking these things off and that could be the important they could be making the money off of that maybe there's like there are contractors that come in and it's like you know, keep what you find kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, a fifty cup here, $2 item there, you know, things that can add up. So not just 10 cents like a can.
1: Yeah, you bring up so many great points. Um, I remember going to um, like an eco green festival in, I think like early 2000s in LA. And I met this gentleman there that was from, had partnered with a technology company from Japan. And they had this system that would basically fit in the back of a truck. And it was to take plastic bags and plastic overwrap. And it had the ability to fractionate out fuel out of those um, plastics and turn it back into a diesel fuel fraction. And my brain kind of went off at that point because I was like, Oh, cause I'd lived in Mexico for a year as well. And at that time, Mexico, I don't know what their system is now, but they certainly, you know, there's always the joke about the, the plastic bag trees, or you go down to the beach and there's just like plastic bags floating around in the ocean. And when you take the steps to turn waste into something that's uh, value created, or it's creating value in the sense that they're going to be incentivized to collect it. I thought, oh, that would impact so many countries from a plastic perspective if they were paid to do it or made something that was usable at the end that would offset a fuel cost, for example, going to the pump. It just makes so much sense. And you and I have had this conversation a lot about textiles, which are kind of tricky and like longer term because they're in, they're in circulation for so long. Like I just ripped my coat uh today on a fence post that i've had for 30 years and uh oh, i'm so sorry i know it's kind of a bummer <laughs> but i'm really good at repairing things so i will sew it up but
2: well, I'll actually, what- yeah i'll talk about, i'll talk to that for a second because like i think like if people like the way that things are going and the way that it has to go for us to be sustainable on this planet is going into the circular economy and then i just got this like this image so all these movies that you see with like Into the Future. And you see them all with their like ripped up clothes on or like patchwork and everything like that. And you're like, oh, they're just surviving. But I actually see that as like the fashion of the future. And people seeing those things means that, you know, you are, you know, a part of the solution. And it's, it's cooler to be that way. And we need to get towards making sustainable lifestyles cool and sexy and and engaging and and fun. And, and then that can start those social norms that start driving those things. Cause then, you know, that's where we're going to be. So like, I I could see that, you know, in a couple of years from now, people might see, you might even not want to do a good job of that patch just (laughs) so people see it and be like, Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. You fixed that. Good job. Actually, you bring up, I'm i am not sure if you met Katie Wilson, who's the director of sustainability at Arcteryx, because uh, you and I were at uh, Coast Waste Management Association's conference in October last year. And Katie told stories about how they've opened repair cafes or they were about to open one, I believe, in New York. And she was saying that it's almost like a badge of honor to have say, an an Arc'teryx jacket, for example, with different colors of zippers Mm. on it, because it means you've had that jacket for so long that it's gone through, like, multiple repairs. And it's like, I thought that's such a great uh, cultural shift. And it's exactly what you're talking about. So yeah. yeah, I might put like a little heart on my my rip of my jacket and That's, like that, I did yeah. this with with heart and repair and I thrifted the jacket anyways it's from LL Bean it's like a 100 dollar jacket I got for 4 bucks and I'm oh, going to make yeah. it last for like another 20 years. Do it. Um but I'd like to go back to the uh just really briefly touch base on the mattresses and um I feel like it's a great uh A great opportunity to talk about something from a consumer's perspective that like life happens, like hoop happens, like say you're moving out, like let's say that those you were able to partner with Sleep Country Canada, for example, and anytime somebody buys a new mattress, they pay a $50 deposit fee, they know about it up front. And I mean, like 50 bucks is no big deal when you're buying like a $4,000 mattress or even like a $1,000 mattress, I wouldn't even blink at that personally, because I know that I'm investing in the responsible um, disposal of that product at the end. And the part I wanted to talk about is, like, maybe you're, maybe you're in a really bad life situation, and you're forced to move or you have like something very emotional happen, like a relationship ends. And you literally, I think we've all been there in moves where we're just like, you get to the end and you're like, I am so done. And you have the pile of stuff that you're just like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? And that's, I think how a lot of mattresses probably just end up in the alleyway. Cause it's like that one thing that isn't convenient or, you know, the delivery truck didn't come pick it up on time and you got to go and like, life just happens. And okay.
2: And you make I've, that narrative in your head, you're like, I do so much good in the world and I do so much all the time that like this time I have to do this for myself. And yeah. honestly, like that's just how humans are, and it's okay and to do those, you know, it's not okay to do the, but it's you know, it's 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 understandable. Well, no yeah, sometimes crucified for that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I guess the point is sometimes life hands you circumstances that we're all just trying to do the best we can in the circumstances that we're under. And that's partly why I called this podcast eco-ish because I really wanted to discuss the real life things that people have to manage and trade off. And I love that what I'm hearing is that you've started with reusable containers and cups which just makes so much sense to me that are able to be in a smaller system say someone's in a neighborhood and they constantly go to their favorite uh coffee shop or maybe they're at a meeting on a different side of town and like oh i forgot my coffee cup you're giving them the opportunity to invest in something that's going to be reused i did talk to jen henry from perk eco and learned all about coffee cups um, which is like a whole other rabbit hole in itself Um, how difficult they are to recycle. So, um, she's providing solutions, you're providing solutions, but I'm also hearing that your QR code technology is very transferable. And in your intro, I loved that you called it business agnostic. So could we talk a little bit about that? Like, I'd love to learn a little bit more about Tim Hortons because now you're taking it out of a, a neighborhood or, um, like a a restricted geographic location, like say the Metro Vancouver, and now you're potentially expanding it into like a national chain. And I really want to hear about that and what kind of hurdles or challenges that you might've been talking to them about, if you can share any of that.
2: Yeah. Well, I guess the, the, there's not really hurdles for, Well, I mean, it's like the hurdle would be for, global expansion is having washing facilities set up in every city like we like right now we're the i guess the own like we're we have the mvp for like minimum viable product for a like the circular circular city washing facility like a, a new utility i'm sorry i can't talk i don't know why i can't get this out um it's a, a washing facility that's like the new utility for a circular city and that we have this like you know it's about 800 square feet and it's all dedicated to just washing reusable packaging. We've been certified to be able to, um, wash for, you know, Tim Hortons or, uh, who's, who's a current partner and we are washing for them. Um, but then that opens up the door. to so like every big brand that wants to wash here. So we have this kind of like an initial, um, facility, but we need that like everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so if there isn't that for a Tim Hortons to scale because uh, they're not going to really wash in their own facility where like an a can wash in their own facility, but they'd only really be washing their own stuff. Um, like we've launched in Sechelt and uh, just doing a pilot, like a remote pilot there where like a small community can be working off of uh, their own infrastructure. So like our our our, uh, our technology works with like a centralized washing facility, but you can also wash yourself. Mm. Um so if you get like, like in Seashell, there's, you know, a, a few cafes there. Um, there's one online right now and then other ones coming on very soon. And then they want to have like the whole community on it and they all have their own dishwashers. So we just basically sell them the cups uh, or they could have their own cups and they, we just sell them the codes. Um, and uh, and then they can run it themselves. They get cups back to their thing. They wash it themselves and goes back out again. If Tim Hortons had their own washing facilities in-house, they could be doing exactly the same thing um it's just adding infrastructure that might not be there at that time yeah um and and also it works kind of things like you could have like having a centralized washer facility you could have Um, public bins you can have pickup from all different areas uh, that go to the centralized washing facility. So, like body energy club in in vancouver there are 15 locations they accept their own cups Uh, they have their own custom branded cups with our technology on it or our qr codes on it and you can return those to body energy club they can wash it but if you say get it picked up from nada when you get your grocery deliveries then uh comes back to us we wash it and then we sell it back to uh body energy club so it, it can kind of okay. work both ways so the centralized washer facility is good for scaling it up but in a small community or just a small pilot just to start it off um uh, a city could just have a few cafes or restaurants you know working on it so i guess the hurdle would be like building these getting these washing facilities online and it's not like crazy infrastructure that it's like new technology. We're going to build all those sorts of fun, new technology. Cause I'm, I'm, yeah, that's what I like doing. Um,
1: <laughs> well, I'm sure your engineering brain too is thinking through this and you touched, you did touch on a point earlier. I wanted to um, bring up, which is social enterprise. So here in the Okanagan we have pace, which is P-A-C-E and they're in Penticton and they actually manage a lot of the mattress recycling. And they also have a depot for electronics and they they specifically focus on helping folks with barriers to return to work um, of all kinds of reasons and give them meaningful work and work opportunities. And so we've seen this starting already with them. And I, I had the chance to meet her and tour the facility um, about a month ago, and she was talking already about creating more of like an industrial hub and an ecosystem that could could foster other social enterprise models or streams that they would be managing and one of the things that's often talked about for us circular economy nerds is a fair and just transition so we want to make sure that we're bringing everybody along as our society is transitioning into this area and i love what you're saying and it feels so appropriate that so many small communities could easily set up uh, one of these systems as you grow so I hope that I can be a bridge that way and connect you. And I'm curious with your engineering brain, um, are you operationalizing those systems and getting uh, like a guidance document together that would help a community or a social enterprise replicate your model as you grow?
2: Yeah, that's that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. We started out with, uh, yeah, just, yeah having all these jobs and we're like well where do we find people just to these quick jobs here and there or these these types of jobs that might, maybe people wouldn't want to be doing for long periods of time and like who's who's looking for you know uh, to get in who who needs who needs work and who's eager for this um and so we worked with BCIT to see how we can hire people with barriers to employment. Like we have what's called cash corners right at the end of our street. And there's like a whole bunch of people that just hang out there waiting for people with cash jobs. And I had the jobs, but I didn't know. Like I was just like, I just need people to stamp this, or I need to be able to sort these, or I need to be able to do these things. So I don't have to do it. Like I'd love to pay them to be able to do that, but I don't know how to do that. And I don't know what my mm. legal obligations are, and you know, all these sort of things, like and how, um, how vulnerable it leaves it. I just didn't. Didn't know. so i we we engage bcit and work with some other partners like share reuse repair uh, initiative and uh uh, we create the manual for how we could start, or I guess there's a guide in stock to, to get us off levels. We had these five like amazing, bright students that were working on it for like six months. Uh, and now we are hiring and, and working with people with, with barriers. Um, and then now we're doing the next step of that, which is we hired a co-op student to work for the next eight months to create this man, operations manual manual with like, SOP, so it's operations and, and HR of how we can continuously hire, train, maintain, and you know support people. People with barriers to employment and keep those pipelines going and you know work with like say like the connects autism network and like things like that just like um yeah like, like super
1: wonderful it's a huge
2: job there's all these people waiting for jobs and it's just like how can we tap into that and then we can share that like what you're saying like share, uh, share that so the all the washing facilities at startup will have something that is uh yeah they can immediately be a social enterprise and help out the community locally and building economies and blah blah blah, blah all, the, yeah, all those tri- good things
1: triple triple quadruple beyond wins and i love that you also inserted an extra uh, letter in the b2c acronym i think that that's you said B to B to C. And I <laughs> I was thinking as you were talking, I'm like, yeah, you know, as we invent new ways of doing business, of course we're gonna invent and create new acronyms. So I just wanted to Oh, I didn't
2: I didn't create that at all. That's uh that's an actual uh I think so just
1: fair I wanna, and I don't want
2: to uh, take credit for that. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you for bringing it yeah. up. I'll I'll yeah. say that because I, yeah. I think that maybe many listeners might not know what that means. It's business to business to consumer. So, um, I love it. So, uh, so we've talked a lot about opportunities and impacts that you're having. And I'm curious if you have any hurdles or trade-offs that you're managing right now, as you continue to scale and grow.
2: Uh, yeah, the, the major, I guess, hurdles are, uh, awareness, um, people don't see and feel the waste crisis or the climate crisis in their day-to-day lives. So there isn't the action that would happen in an urgent situation, say like COVID is like, as soon as that happened, everybody was baking hand sanitizer. We even were making hand sanitizer or like we were bottling it from the local source or whatnot. Like you're like seeing the opportunity, people need this, it's going to happen, but people don't, you know, like demand this, that kind of thing. So it's not going viral or like, it's not just like going in. I mean, it's kind of good because we don't have a washing facility that can wash all the city's dishes because that's like millions of units a day. And Mm. that's what we're working towards. Uh, So it is, it is uh, like a good level, but uh, yeah, like the hurdle is really getting the awareness out there because even people that are sustainable, um, you know, they haven't tried, they might've heard of our program. They'll be, like, Oh, that's nice. But you know, that coffee shop's two blocks farther than the one I go to. And really is there, you know, is a cup really that bad, even though there's hundreds of millions of go- them going to the landfill in Metro Vancouver every year, like mm-hmm. our incinerators, like it's, you know, it's all over the streets. It's like, it's more than half the city cleanup is just, you know, cups, <laughs> like take care containers and things like that. So, but that gets cleaned up. We live in beautiful vancouver and we do not see a waste crisis at all it's just everything's just out of sight out of mind recycling works compostable packaging works which is all a farce um and no one really knows or they just they just trust that someone else is going to figure it out um and so that's the biggest so we've made it like as easy as possible to make that choice and and to switch over um yeah, so we're just gonna have to grow it and make it easier. But the awareness piece, marketing is a huge thing. Yeah. All the, like the government's putting all this money into sustainable business, like clean energy, like clean all these kinds of things. Um, but if they put 10 million dollars into a fund to uh, fund marketing. For, like, it was like, hey, digital marketing agencies, you know, send us your proposal. You'll get $10 million of resources to do a Canadian wide campaign, or maybe a million dollars for each city or something like that to run this campaign. Pitch your campaigns to us to make it cool, sexy. Like, I mean, it doesn't have to be sexy, but it'd be cool and trendy and like, it, like in and like you know, people have FOMO and create these social norms and all this kind of create a culture around it because it's really not hard to do it and uh, I guess one of the trade-offs that we've been doing is like you know like it's not efficient right now so like if you mm-hmm. have a few cups in a bin you know we're going and cleaning those things out when really if it was at scale those bins would be you know, brimming oh, all the, yeah. the time. And, and we would be fitting in infrastructure like waste management companies would be picking those things up for us because that's just part of the program. Because you, you'd have less other waste, you'd have more cups. So there's just like, it's, just moving from one type to another. So you'd still have to pay a waste hauler mm-hmm. to take that stuff away. So it's not going to cost the business anymore. Mm-hmm. They're just replacing one with another and like city pickups, like all this kind of thing. So like it fits into the top of the supply chain goes all the way down. And then the collection infrastructure is already there doing all these things already picking up, you know, compost and recycling and garbage. And like these things can be picked up from your house on like a curbside collection weekly, or biweekly. Or however, the system works in in BC or Vancouver. Yeah. So it um yeah, it could be. It. So right now it's just less efficient um and we're just, you know, doing that to, so we can get up to that level where it can rapidly scale.
1: I love it. Um thank you for your dedication and vision on this and like really you feel like you're on the precipice of uh, exploding and it's you and I and others have talked about this waste is just a different lens that you wear. And when you're aware of the problem, you see a lot of the opportunities. And I feel like we need to have some incentives to kind of push all the innovation up even further. And we talk a lot about that in sustainability. When you have constraints or limits, you have the ability to be more creative and When I was speaking to Jen Henry from Park Eco, she said when the ban on putting um, biodegradable or compostable material in the landfills from garbage collection was put in with the city of Vancouver, she said she just saw the whole industry jump. Up, Because now all of a sudden, this is a a banned substance at the end of the line. And so the innovation happens as we work backwards and find all the places along the way to intersect and be entrepreneurial. And it's exactly the same with you. And so what kind of role... Um, Do you see that playing like, we call it extended producer responsibility, or is it like a landfill ban, or additional eco fees on things that would help your company make that big jump into better efficiency?
2: It honestly goes back to the awareness side of things, because that's exactly what you're saying, like where you got those limitations, that's when uh, these things come into play. Like when you see demand, when you have, you know, COVID with hand sanitizer, with masks, yeah. with all that kind of stuff, exactly. as soon as people want it, it'll happen overnight. And like the government won't have to fund these things to start up and they are starting up and they're like, there's a lot that are not doing well and are all going into business. They're just, you know, um, yeah extinguishing yeah. all over the place and they're getting all this grant funding it's all getting burned because people are demanding it is if you if people demand it you won't have to pay for businesses to start up because they'll see the opportunity and they'll take that risk and they'll take that chance and they'll take that loan and they'll they'll get that they'll like persuade their friends and give them the money because there is opportunity and there is money there so if you start out with the people then everything else falls in line policy falls in line the politicians just want what the like the people are demanding of them. So it won't be a 25 cent cup fee. It could be a $5 cup fee. If everybody's demanding it and seeing like a a single use cup, like a cigarette butt. Yeah. Boom. You know, then people would be like, yeah, $5. That's, awful get that out of here and then (laughs) everybody will fall in line like there will be the fringe people that i will be fighting it because they're just don't want to do that but if you can make it as easy as possible to not have a single use cup then they're just like whatever it's just a cup i'm just trying to get a cup of coffee and it'd be easy to get that and they'll have those businesses come in line to um yeah so yeah the politicians doing these like like 25 cents was like oh my god you're crazy or whatever but like really it's bad like it's it's, it's waste. Like it's garbage. You're creating, you're, you're, you're extracting resources to make something to just destroy it, to devalue it and then like create more garbage. So like when you think about it, single use cup or t- container or packaging, anything that's single use is going, is, is, is awful. It's just yeah. absolutely insane. <laughs> and if you awful. had a different, different, different avenue of it, if it was another avenue it was just as easy, but you know, that thing just kept circulating and wasn't going into landfill then that's the thing but like the city if they were like we're banning all single-use products from the market the infrastructure couldn't handle it like uh, and like people wouldn't like yeah no one would get that vote passed they would get lynched to do something like that but if all the people did it it would happen in years not decades
1: yes i totally agree with you and it's it's the carrot and the stick analogy and it's the you know the folks on the bleeding edge and the cutting edge thinking through these solutions but we the reality is is that unless it becomes painful or not convenient for the average consumer um change is hard to affect and um yeah so there's a role of all kinds of all kinds of things that you've been just sharing about, about the eco fee, but also the bans, And sometimes I wish that they would happen more in conjunction with each other and more timely. So it'll be remain to be seen uh, how that pans out. Um, I know that there's some, some uh, turbulence in the Vancouver area about the eco fees. And really, uh, when you think about it as waste, and you think just a little bit outside yourself, like, wow, if one person a day is throwing away these cups times however many million people live in the lower mainland, when you just start to take those little baby steps with your thoughts, you start thinking like, oh, wow, no, my actions do have impact because I could divert this and change it into something that's going to be reused. And if everybody did that across the system, it would be a very impactful shift. So
2: yeah, but they just need to see it first. And once you see it, once you really fully understand it, you, you get it. And then, yeah. and then you, you can start seeing it kind of elsewhere, but I mean, not everybody has to see it. It's just the, the, the influential people, the, you know, in that marketing to get that going. Cause every, most people like 90 or 80% of the people just fall in line with how everything else is, is going. And then they adopt that as their behavior. So like littering, like, you know, we don't litter anymore. It's so like, we just, well, we do like there is people that do do it yeah but in vancouver if you see somebody throw something on the ground in and uh, you would say something you'd be like hey what the heck
1: yeah like, you it's know like become, pick that up
2: you know like it's, it's yeah it's not cool man um it's become so, part
1: of our culture our cultural our culture <laughs> yeah. I can't say that word. Our cultural norms.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: my tongue isn't working. I know that we're um we're coming to the end of our time together. And I wanted to ask you um a couple more just short questions. Sure. One of them is, if you could pick up a paintbrush and paint your ideal future for sharewares, what does that look like
2: to you? I guess a centralized washing facility in every town or every city working off of, you know, reusable packaging and it uh, bringing customer delights as single use packaging does now, um, like the same types of experiences. And uh, actually, I probably could bring better value um, and not have just this unnecessary single use stuff going on. Cause like things can all be put, like things can be designed to be, reused um and if you have the network and the systems all set up for it or whatever you can make it just as as convenient um so yeah just like uh, uh, i guess awareness that single-use stuff is bad yeah and, and a feeling of that so people actually like have that as a social norm and then reusable packaging flowing yeah flowing through economies and, and cities and stuff like that yeah
1: well thank you for that i love the vision and it's It also I think really highlights that even though things are made out of plastic, you just brought it up and brought it forward, even though things are made out of um, materials that we might deem unsavory from a sustainability perspective, when you find solutions like sharewares that use them over and over and over and over again, that's also a great step towards sustainability. And so I, I love your vision and I really truly hope that, this podcast at least illuminates for some folks what opportunities are out there. And it's perfect segue into my final question, which is, if somebody is listening to this, and they say, hey, I really want to implement that in my cafe or my restaurant, or um, maybe it's just a listener who's a customer, how do they connect with you? And how do they um, bring those ideas forward to their favorite cafe?
2: Right. Um, well, first, I want to touch on that kind of unsavory side of things. Uh, sure. I, like, like, uh, I mean, there is like all the stigma around it. I'm not saying like using petroleum products is like good. And we have to use more of it or anything like that. But like, um, the the foundation of of, of plastics, you know, is, like the the hydrocarbons, these uh, they, um, they can be made from alternative sources. Like there is bioplastics and bio things or whatnot. And you know, from our our, our research and talking to our these the, the you know, partner sciences, um, you could be making, you know, polypropylene out of, uh, like sargassum or like seaweed, algae, like blooms, like invasive toxic things. You could be making this stuff out of it's just right now it's made out of those things. So, um, there's kind of stigmas and there's all these, you know, misinformation around these things and like things, yeah, like things, it's like toxic and all this kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, if you drink out of a PVC cup, you're going to get cancer. You know, it's just like, if you put, if you drank out of a lead cup, you know, you would get lead poisoning, you know, it's like, there's, there's all these different things of like how, how people are framing things and and, and fear mongering and and stuff like that. So um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of this education that needs to, to go out there to make people feel safe and secure. And we're happy to provide that information, anything that they need, because what we do is safe and scalable and convenient and, and all that. So check, yeah, connect with us at, uh, on Instagram, uh, share.wares. Yeah. Um, you can get like Cody at sharewares.ca, um, our yeah, websites, sharewares.ca. Um, yeah, I I don't know if there's any other, I think we'd probably be on TikTok soon.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's many people's statement. And, uh, just back to the unsavory, I certainly didn't mean to imply that using plastic is, uh, poor for your health or, Um, puts your health at risk in any way. And I love that you just brought that forward because there's so many material scientists that are looking at alternatives for shifting. Okay, what is made out of a non-renewable resource like petroleum? And how can we make the same product with durability and flexibility and safety for folks, but completely out of a different source? And- It's not perfect
2: right now. It's eco-ish.
1: Eco-ish. And, you know, one of the things that gives me absolutely so much hope every day to get up and continue doing the work that I do and, um, you know, putting my passion energy into stuff like this, like my podcast is that there's just millions of people out in the world that you don't even know about that are working on solutions. And I'm just so grateful to connect with you as one of those passionate people. And just want to say, thank you so much for being on the podcast and, I hope to have you on again, maybe in a six to eight month update. Because if you got Tim Hortons on board, I can only imagine um, where the expansion might be going for you. So, congratulations. a
2: lot, lots happening in the industry that nobody sees, but it can get, it can be. Um... Yeah, amazing. And yeah, if there's if anyone's listening in Vancouver, uh, please give us a try just and give us feedback. Like we're this is first steps. This is brand new industry. All your help, even like the the worst possible stuff you could say. We want to hear it so that we can fix it as yeah, we're problem solvers. Let's just uh, let's all work together to to get there.
1: Amazing. Thank you for that invitation. And for listeners, I'll put everything from Cody's contact information and website and social links down in the show notes as well. So Cody, I wish you a wonderful day. Thank you so much for your time. Deeply well, appreciate you. it and just honor the work you're doing.
2: Awesome. You too. Thanks so much.
1: Hey listener. Thank you so much for tuning in to this latest episode of Ecoish podcast. We're very excited to bring you new content every other Wednesday throughout the year. You can follow along at Instagram at eco.ish.podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the Sustainable Living School, which produces this podcast, you can look at the website sustainableliving.school. You'll find information about courses and a free guide that you can download to learn more about sustainable living and how to get started. The Sustainable Living School is also partnered with Your Healthiest Self on a five-day free Sustainable Living Made Easy Challenge. You can register at any time by going to the website sustainablelivingmadeeasychallenge.com. Thank you again, and we hope you'll tune in again soon. Bye for now.